Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Y'all all right? Thank you for waiting. Sorry it took so long. Uh, uh, it just took a long. That's, I don't know what else to say. Amen. We had it all worked out. Everything was great. And uh, um, the pilot of the plane messed up. So we had to fix his mess, and that put us in a little late. So thank you for waiting. It's great to be here. What an honor. What a pleasure. I want to thank your pastors and, uh, for having me and inviting us to come and uh, to be here with you tonight. And uh, I'm going to share some things with you that I pray uh, will be a great blessing in your life. They've been a great blessing to me, and uh, they minister to me, and so hopefully they'll minister to you and help to take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. And uh, to, to bring about that, that next level of your walk with Christ so that you can enjoy, as, as, as Pastor said, the, the life that Jesus came to give you, which is the abundant life. Amen? Yeah. All right, I've got three things I want to share with you real quick, uh, three uh, uh, series that we brought with us. And uh, I, I bring this with you not because I think you don't get good teaching. I know you get good teaching. The reason I bring it to you is because while we're here, we can only cover one subject. But through CDs, we can cover a lot of subjects. And we can cover a lot of things and really make the most of the time, right? Uh, do more with it. And so uh, it's three series, and uh, I'll talk about them real, real briefly with you and just kind of give you a little oversight. Uh, I just finished this series in our church, and, and actually this one uh, well, a couple months ago. And it's called, He is a Miracle-Working God. And it has a picture of the Red Sea on it. And it's a little bit different. And, and what I discovered, in fact, I began part two of this series today in our church in El Paso. Uh, but this is part one. And what it is, is that I, it's kind of like doing the anatomy of a miracle. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what you thought, but I don't know. I, I was kind of raised in a religious tradition, you know. I was raised Catholic. And, and so we believed in the potential of miracles, uh, but I always thought that, you know, miracles just kind of showed up and who knew why or how come. And then as I got a little older, I thought that miracles kind of showed up when humans jacked up their lives so bad, there was nothing else God could do, but give them a miracle, you know? And so then God was like, Hey, I got to do a miracle, you know, to get them out of this. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way I thought about it. And, uh, you know, I like to read about them and all that good stuff. But, you know, I just began to think about it and look at it. And for, I'll give you an example. You know, the Red Sea, and that's the first one we talk about in here. Miracles happen because people do certain things that are, that, and, and you can see it in the Scripture once you start looking for it. Like, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea. I thought that, that the God split the Red Sea because, you know, the nation of Israel was just out wandering around. And they ended up in this spot, and there was nothing else God could do but split the Red Sea to save them. But in truth, they were at the exact spot God told them to go to. When they left Egypt, he said, go to this place between this town and this town. So he took them there with the intention of splitting the Red Sea. He intended for them. He intended them to be there. So they received the miracle God had to them because of their obedience, right? And then, then we studied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, and there we discovered that they received their miracle because they refused to compromise. And then we went to the, to the lady, the, the little widow woman with Elijah, and she received her miracle because she gave 
all of them different. All of them got a miracle, but all of them different. And so I really get into this and really open it up to you. And I, I really think, and what I want to do is I want to seed you for miracles in your life. And faith cometh by hearing, amen, hearing by the word of God. So that's good. After that, I taught this series called Running Over. And it deals with that famous verse of Scripture, Luke 6, 38, where we are promised that God wants to give us a running over life, or the literal text says, an overflowing life. And uh, did you know, uh, you, I know you do, but I'll just remind you tonight, your father wants you to do better this year than you did last year. And he wants you to do better next year than you did this year. And not only does he want you to do better, he needs you to do better. Okay? And there is a process, not a principle, a process that brings about that better life for you and your family. And I really break it down and show it to you and really explain to you. Uh, you know, I discovered something. I've been quoting Luke 638 for how many years, Brother John? Have we been quoting Luke 638? And I, 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 you know, I got in it and I decided to really study it and just quote it. And I found, you know, the verse, right? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And, uh, you know, I've always had, and one of the criticisms people have when we teach people about that is they say, well, you know, you shouldn't give to get. And, and I got into that verse, and I, I like to study things. You'll see tonight, I like to break down words and study words. I'm just very curious like that. And I've been that way ever since I was a little kid. And what I discovered there, and I'll just give this to you, and then we'll move on is that word, the first word, give, right? Jesus said, give. In the Greek text, it says this. You give because you believe God has given to you already. Jesus said, give because you believe God has given to you, and it shall be given to you. And then because you believe God has given to you, you will give again. And it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. The King James text says into your bosom. But in the literal Greek text, it says into your pockets. And so God, you know, that, I think that's so valuable in our lives. I almost taught this to you tonight, so I'll just give it to you right now. It's so important, you know, that we understand. When you understand that, then you understand Proverbs where he said, honor the Lord. Honor, Right? honor. You know, we give in the New Testament because we believe God has given to us. Right? I give because I believe God has given to me. My giving is a show of my gratitude for what God has done. And it is a show of my expectation for what I believe God will do because of what God has done. Wow, it's fantastic. I love it. Changes your whole aspect when it comes to giving. Amen. And the last one I'm going to teach you tonight, rise again. You'll understand this in just a moment. Okay, now here's the deal. All right, we want to do something special for you. If you buy these separately, Jimmy, you got to help me with them again. How much is rise again separately? Four? Twenty. And miracle working? Three? This one's twenty if you buy it separately. This one's twenty-five. And running over is? Thirty. Okay, so if you buy them separately, that'd be 50, 75, right? Somewhere around in there. Okay, now, but if you buy them all together, you can get them all for $50. Good deal? All right, cool. All right, you ready to rock and roll? Let's pray. 
Father, we honor you and thank you tonight. And I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for the next few moments. And I ask you, Lord, to, to bring your revelation into our lives tonight. God, speak to us. Speak to us tonight. God, we are smart enough to know we're not smart enough. Speak to us tonight. We need your wisdom. We need your knowledge. We need your insight into life. Speak to us tonight. Show us how life really works so we can enjoy it and walk in it and experience the life that Jesus came to give you, came to give us. And we honor you and we thank you tonight. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed said amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you tonight, I want you to open with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis, and in particular to the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to read tonight about a very interesting man, uh, one of the really, really intriguing guys to me in the Old Covenant. And before we begin reading tonight, I want to, I want to just paint a picture for you. I want to talk to you tonight, as I said a moment ago, uh, out of a series, and of course we won't cover it all tonight, but I'll give, give, give you enough that you can get down the road, all right? And uh, we're going to look at this principle, and the principle comes from this. Have you ever had these kind of days in your life, right, where you're going along, life's okay, and then it goes haywire, and you get knocked to the ground, and you just start getting up, and you get knocked to the ground again, and you just start getting up, and you get knocked down to the ground again. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? I'm going to get two hands and a leg up on that one myself, all right? Been there, done that, yeah, uh-huh. Got a street named after me for that, Okay. And, uh, you know, we experience those kind of things in our lives where we have those kind of experiences. Now, thank God they're not all the time, but that kind of experience can go on for a while. All right. And, uh, you know, in my life, I've always tried to figure out why and how come and, 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 and also how do you get back up? You know, you get knocked down, but how do you get up? And what I began, what I discovered one time in studying, because my Old Testament hero, and I think everybody's got one, all right, and everybody's different, but my Old Testament hero is Joseph, all right? When, when, I, when, when I go to heaven, I, you know, I want to, of course, see Jesus, go see the throne room, spend time in there, and I want to meet Joseph, all right? Now, all of you can go meet Moses. I'll meet him later, but I want to meet Joseph, Okay, and the reason why I want to meet Joseph is because uh, of the extraordinary life that he lived. And, you know, when you think about it, and you go home and you study your Bible tonight, you'll discover that there are more chapters about Joseph than there is about Abraham. So he must have also been a real favorite of our Heavenly Fathers. Amen. He really liked Joseph because he put a lot of detail about Joseph's life in the Scripture. So let's back up here to Genesis 37. Let me just give you a little background if you don't know. Verse 1, And Jacob, that's Joseph's father, dwelt in, dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilal and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Not his evil report. Their evil report. Now, the word evil report there, right, in, in the literal text means that he came back and he told, he told his father about their immorality. Hmm about their wickedness and how unethical they were, all right? So we don't have details, but we know this, that wherever these, whatever these boys were doing, they were being immoral, 
unethical, and wicked. All right? And Joseph came back and told the father. Now, if you don't know anything about Jacob's life and about Joseph's life, Jacob had two wives and many concubines. And out of those two wives and concubines, he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? His favorite son was by his favorite wife, Rachel. His favorite son was Joseph. Rachel had two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. Now, Rachel died in childbirth, and so he always loved Joseph, okay? And Joseph was, at this time in his life, 17 years old. So his father sent him out, okay? And he came back, and he said, wow, uh, you know, uh, your, your sons are being unethical, immoral, and wicked. Well, I'm sure that endeared him to his father, but it did not go well with his brothers. Amen. All right. And particularly since he wasn't even the oldest brother. Okay. There were several older brothers than him. Okay. And uh, then he goes further. Look at verse three. Now, Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brethren. Now, that's a huge mistake that Jacob made. All right, huge mistake. Now, you know, he may have loved him, uh, loved him more, but he should have kept that to himself. How many of you agree with that, right? But he didn't. He just showed it. He just let everybody know. And look what he does, right? And, uh, and, and, and he loved him more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people think that this is a coat that kind of looked like it was put together with remnant, carpet remnants or something, you know, all these different colors, when in truth what it was is it was a, a white linen uh, covering that went down below his knees and around the sleeves and around the bottom border was a border of different colors, all right? But it was white linen. Now, what that symbolized, now remember, all of these men were farmers and herdsmen. Farmers and herdsmen do not wear white linen into the field, right? So what this symbolized to everybody that saw Joseph is that this son does not work. Okay? Now, all of his brothers, the, the clothing of that day was they wore heavy, dark clothing, right, to cover dirt, and they could stand up to the wear and tear. And also remember, my family, that back in those days, people didn't have multiple sets of clothes like you and I do today. They would have one set, wear it till it wore out, and got another set. That's how they were. Okay? And so that's, that was life back in those days. But here comes Joseph, right? Here's the brothers and their short little dark, dirty tunics, and out walks the favorite son in his white linen. <laughs> right? Basically saying to all the other brothers, what? All of you work for me at 17. Okay? So Jacob is making a lot of serious mistakes here with Joseph, right? And with the brothers. Now let's continue on. Verse 4, when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, hated him, hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, very interesting there. The word hated uh, is a very powerful word. It means they disliked him. They were hostile towards him and bitter. All right? They were hostile and bitter. Okay, so they disliked him, and then they became hostile, 
And they became hostile to such a point that it said they could not speak peaceably. What it means is, is they would not even give him the Jewish, the Jewish salute of peace be with you or go in peace. They wouldn't even give him that. They had so much hate. But here's what's really dangerous, and it's going to pop up later. Watch now. They became bitter towards him. Now, if you don't get anything else out of what I talk about tonight, I pray that you will let this sink into your heart. As far as I can determine, I may not be correct, but as far as I can determine, there are two negative human emotions that God refers to as having a root. One of them is the love of money, and the other is bitterness. Now, the thing you know and I know about roots is, is that you can plant a tree here, and the roots can show up over there. Right? And roots go out, and they end up in places you would have never dreamed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, if you know people, and this is something that you got to really be careful about in your life, is that bitterness, bitterness, you can let yourself get bitter in one area, and years later, those roots will pop up in other areas of your life. That's right. So dangerous. So dangerous. And that's why you end up seeing, I've seen it, I've seen it with people really close to me, that they get into their latter days of their life and there's nobody around them. Because when they were teenagers or in their 20s or 30s, they let themselves get bitter in one area. And over time, that bitterness sent out roots and it ended up going into areas they never imagined. Wow, and that's something. So the brothers become bitter towards Joseph, and that bitterness is going to take them to places they never imagined. Are you still with me tonight? Yeah. Okay, so then uh, for, for the sake of time, we'll just zip through this. Joseph dreamed a dream. He told his brothers, and they hated him even more, even more. All right, that word hated in verse 5 is literally the word they became bitter. They moved from dislike, the bitterness to grip of them and really began to manifest itself in their life, all right? So he has this dream and he tells them that, you know, basically the dream is, is that sometime in the future, the brothers are all going to come and bow down to him. <laughs> oh, I just know that endeared him to him even more, right? So right here, I would say Joseph was a little naive, a little young, Probably should have kept that to himself. How many of you agree with me on that, all right? But, you know, he was young. Come on, give him a break. He was 17. How many of you remember what you were like when you were 17? You weren't the sharpest pencil in the box either, right? Amen? I said amen? Amen. Okay, so, you know, he's, he, you know, he should have probably kept that to himself. Then he has another dream, and it's basically the same dream again, right? Jump with me to verse 11. And his brothers envied him. Envied him. The word envy means, literally means they wanted his position. So they're bitter and they want what he's got. Okay? So then, verse 12. Now it's going to get good. The brothers went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. All right? So he sends them off to feed them. Now, the dad, Jacob, he doesn't trust these 11 boys. All right? So a few days later, he sends Joseph after them because he knows Joseph will tell them the truth. So Joseph goes. Right? And he goes to where the father sent them, and they're not there. So right there, what do we see? Not only are they bitter, they're also disobedient. They're also rebellious. Boy, you talk about a dysfunctional family. Amen? I mean, this, is, this family put the dis in dysfunctional. Okay? 
And so here they go, right? So Joseph goes there, and he's looking for them, and he's just standing around, verse 15 and 16. He can't find them. And the brother and the man said, well, your brothers left days ago. They're over at this place now with the flocks. Now, what should Joseph have done? He should have turned around and gone home. No, he doesn't do that, all right? So he goes after his brothers, and they see him coming in verse 18. Watch now. And they said in verse 19, Behold, the dreamer comes. Now watch verse 20. Come now, therefore, and let us kill him and put him into a pit. Seriously? What has this boy done that you want to kill him for it? Now, listen, I was the oldest son, had two younger brothers, and every once in a while a younger brother maybe needs a good smack in the back of the head or a good kick in the seat of the pants, but you don't kill him. I mean, you may lay in bed and think about it, but you don't do it. All right? But they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. You see where that bitterness took him? Oh, come on now. We're laughing, but seriously, now, do you see where that bitterness took them? See, bitterness will take you places you never dreamed you would go. And now they want to kill him and throw him into a pit and tell their father that an animal killed him. Well, one of the brothers says, no, don't do it. Reuben says, don't do it. We can't do it. They, and so what they end up doing is they drop him into a pit. Look at verse 24. They took him, cast him into a pit. A pit simply means a well that doesn't have any water in it. So they drop him into this hole in the ground. All right? Well, I think Reuben probably thinks, well, you know, he'll sit down there. He'll cool his heels a little bit. Maybe he'll wake up and he'll, you know, get, you know, start acting his age and being a better brother. So then they sit down to eat and they looked up and here come the Ishmaelites. Now, you know who the Ishmaelites, right, are. These are the sons of Ishmael. Okay? These are also the sons of Abraham who have been disinherited from Abraham because of Hagar and Isaac. All right? And so... They're kicked out. Now, there's this enmity between them, and we're still having that enmity today, aren't we? These are, these are the tribes of the Arab nations that we know today, right? The forefathers of the Arab nations. And so we still have this hatred between the Jews and the, and the sons of Ishmael, all right? And then, and then you know, they, they see them, and they're going down to Egypt. And Judah looks at his brother and said, what good does it do us to kill him and conceal his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So they sell their brother to their enemies. They sell him to them, right? And they take the money and they divide it up. Is this a jacked up family or what? Okay? And you know who I blame for this? I blame Jacob. Okay? And so uh, they sell him, right? And then they leave and they make their way down into uh, Egypt. Now, we don't know this. I, this is purely speculation. But can you imagine how he was treated by the Ishmaelites all the way to Egypt? Uh-huh. Amen. Right? They all know. Now, remember, please remember, back in those days, you didn't have big distances. The Ishmaelites just lived right over there. They were just right over there. They didn't live hundreds of miles away. They just lived right over there. Their border matched up against Jacob's border. They all know Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. They all knew it. And now they have him in their possession. Man, I can't even, I, maybe I don't even want to think about what happened to that boy while he's making his way down to Egypt. Well, then he gets to Egypt and they sell him again. 
And now they sell him as a slave to a guy named Potiphar. Now, here we go. Okay, go with me now. Jump with me over to chapter 39. Okay, still with me? We we had to set all of that. Now it's going to get really good. That was kind of the chips and salsa and your salad. Now we're going to get into the ribeye, okay? And this is where it gets really good. So now here Joseph is, right? Life is good. Life is great. And then one day life goes haywire. Life kind of puts his heel, its foot on Joseph's head and pushes him to the bottom of the pool. But you watch, Joseph is going to come back to the top of the pool. And you and I can learn what he did. And if we learn what he did and we do what he did, then we can also come back to the top of the pool. No matter how many times life puts its heel on your head and pushes you down, listen, if you'll just keep Josephing, you can keep coming back to the top of the pool. Amen? Amen? No matter what life does to you. Okay, now watch what Joseph does. Okay, chapter 39, verse 9. One, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian. He was a member of the royal household. He was close to Pharaoh, wealthy, prosperous, lived in an estate, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which brought him down there. Watch now. And the Lord was with Joseph. Watch. And he was a prosperous man. The word prosperous there means uh, he was... He was uh, uh, successful and victorious. What? what? He's a slave. He's a slave. How can you be prosperous and successful when you are a slave? Now watch. It's going to make sense to you. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, watch this. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer all over his house and all that he put in his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord, you're going to love all this, was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, Whenever you read your Bible like this, you need to always remember that in the Old Covenant, there were many names for God. And when you, and when you look at the, whenever they use a word, a word for God, you got to look at it because it'll help you many times to understand what part of the Godhead is involved here. The word Lord there is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The word Yahweh is the Hebrew word that means Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. They did not know who that was, but we do know who that was. This was that part of the Godhead we know as Jesus. So Jesus is manifesting himself towards Joseph in his life. Are you with me so far? He didn't say Elohim. He didn't say El Shaddai. He didn't say Jehovah. It says Yahweh. This is Jesus manifesting himself in Joseph's life. Woo! All right? And so the Redeemer, the Deliverer, Savior begins to manifest himself in Joseph's life. Now, what will really help you to understand what went on here, right? Joseph, Joseph is at the bottom of the food chain. He is a Hebrew slave in the house of an Egyptian master. Potiphar can cut his head off and nobody is going to care or give a rip. Every breath he takes, he gets it at the, at the mercy of Potiphar. Every piece of food, any clothing he has, anything he has comes from Potiphar. All right? And yet, 
we see the Bible said he was prosperous. So the statement in verse 2 could not have been when he first walked on the property. It was impossible for him to be prosperous when he first walked on the property. How could he be successful and victorious when he's standing there with a chain around his neck? So this was not when he first walked on the property. This is something after a period of time. And when you first see, and this happens all the time in the Bible, God tells you the end, and then as the verses go on, he tells you how you got to the end. All right, now that should not confuse us, because always remember that Hebrew was read from right to left and not from left to right. Okay? And so sometimes in the translation, the, the, the process, you get the end, and then you get the process. Where in English, we give you the process and then the end. All right? But so you got to read it carefully. Are you learning anything? Okay? And so he says he was a prosperous man, right? He was a prosperous man. And look what it says. And he says, and the Lord was with him. So even though he's there all by himself and it looks like life is crummy and life has put his foot on his head and pushed him down, Jesus is with him. And I remind you tonight that no matter what may be going on in your life, Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will always be there with you no matter what may be going on in your life. Right? You know, I pastor a church just like the other pastors in this room. And I have people come up to me all the time and say, Pastor, you know, I'm in this situation. Why? Where's the Lord? Well, he's right there. He's right there. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He's right there. All right? So he said the Lord was with him. Now, this is what's interesting, right? And he says, and the, and the master saw that the Lord was with him. So he didn't see that the day he walked in the gate. This is after he's been there for a while. You catch what I'm saying? He's seeing that the Lord, that the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior is doing something in his life. Now, how did he get there? And he said, and Jesus made all that he did to prosper in his hand. How? How? The key is found in verse 4. Look at it. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And Joseph found grace. You know, the other day I came home, and whenever I come to my house, I always put my keys in exactly the same place. I've done it from the day I moved into my house 17 or 18 years ago. When I walk in, I always put my keys in the same place, same place, unlike other members of my family. I always put my keys in the same place, right? So when I'm ready to leave, I know where they are. Well, the other day, I put my keys there, and I went in to leave, and I looked where my keys are, and they weren't there. But you know what? I knew they were there. You know why I knew they were there? Because I was there. I knew they had to be there because I did not leave my car somewhere when I came back to the house. The car came with me. The car was in the garage, so the keys were there. What is my point? I began to look for them, and I found them. I found them because I was looking for them. I was looking for them because I knew they were there. Joseph found grace because he expected grace to be there. He was looking for it. 
He was looking for grace, and that's why he found grace. He was looking for grace, and that's why he found grace. He was looking for grace. So the first thing you do when life puts its heel on your head and pushes you to the bottom of the pool, start looking for grace. What are you looking for? Joseph found what he was looking for. He found it because he knew it was there. He was looking for it because he expected it to be there. Now, why? And you know what grace is, right? God's honor undeserved, unmerited favor, and, and it is an endowment of power. So grace is favor with God and from God into your life, right? It is an endowment of power. So here Joseph is. He's sitting there, right? I'm at, he's at the bottom of the food rung. He's out of the work. He's out of his comfort zone. He's away from his family. He's gone from being a prince to being a slave. And you don't see him feeling sorry for himself. He doesn't get sullen. He doesn't get depressed. He doesn't say, I want to commit suicide. Why can't I just die? God just doesn't say any of that. What he does is he surveys the situation and he says, you know what? The Lord is with me and I'm going to start looking for grace. It's here. I promised it. I'm going to look for it. And he found it. Yeah. Amen. He found that grace, and that grace empowered him, empowered him. And before you know it, this Hebrew slave, 18, 19 years old, is running the entire estate of this member of the royal household of Egypt. Isn't that something? Hmm? You're going to find what you're looking for. Now, why, why? Why would he be looking for grace? Are you ready? Why would he be looking for grace? What would move him to look for grace? Why would he look for grace? Right? Well, let me tell you why. Okay, I'm going to give you two examples why. Why he would look for grace. First of all, the name Yahweh. The name Yahweh. The name Yahweh. All right, well, if, you, if you know your Hebrew, you know that the Hebrew is a very unique language. Hebrew is very unique in that it not only has letters that make up a word, and that word has a meaning, every letter has a picture that goes with the word. And a lot of times, the picture, when you put the word together, the, the, the pictures also paint another picture and tell you what the word means. In addition to the literal definition of the letters, it's also the picture definition that comes with it. And if you could read Hebrew, what you would see is you would see the letters Yahweh and the picture that would be painted when you saw the picture, it would say this to you, that Yahweh means the hand of grace pierced by grace. The hand of grace pierced by grace. Watch this. You, 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 you're you're going to be blown away when I give this all to you. Okay? The hand of grace pierced by grace. So every time a, a, a little Hebrew boy said Yahweh, right, he thought Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. But the picture, the name that God gave Yahweh also said that Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior was also a hand of grace pierced by grace. Now, they had no idea what that meant, but you and I do. We know who they're talking about. Come on, give me a good amen tonight, right? We know exactly who they're talking about, right? And so he had in his heritage an expectation of grace, the hand of grace, the hand of grace, the hand of favor, the hand of God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, the endowment of God's power in my life. So he calls on Yahweh. He's looking for grace because he knows Yahweh's with him. Come on, right? Yahweh's with me. My brother's left me. I don't know where my dad is, but Yahweh's with me. The hand of grace, pierced by grace, is with me. 
Now, he doesn't know what that means, but you know what it means. Now, not only that, see, he has a heritage of God's grace in his life. He has a heritage. Did you know that? He has a heritage of it. It's a part of their upbringing, God's grace. That's why Jacob, even though he's a scoundrel, God still blessed him. That's why Isaac, who was not anything really to write home about, that's why God blessed him too, right? Because they have this heritage of grace. Well, where'd they get it, Pastor? Very simple, right? How many of you know Abraham's name before he became Abraham? Abram. How many of you know Sarah's name before she became Sarah? Sarai, right? You can go back and look at it in your Bible. In the book of Genesis, one day God comes up to Abraham and he says, no longer will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham. Now, if we had a chalkboard up here, we could write Abram and we could write Abraham. And the only difference between the, letter, between the spelling of the words is an H and an A. And the only difference between Sarai and Sarah is an H and an A. In the Hebrew, the Ha is the Hebrew letter that means grace. Abram was Abram until God gave him his grace, and then he became Abraham. Sarai was Sarai until she became Sarah as a result of God's grace, and then they had Isaac. So it was a part of their Jewish heritage of their covenant with God to believe in God's grace. Come on, somebody. Amen. This unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor and impediment of power in your life because of that grace. So this is Joseph's heritage, right? So when life knocks him down, he starts looking for grace. It's got to be here somewhere. It's got to be here somewhere because the hand of grace is with me. Yahweh's with me. The hand of grace has got to be here somewhere. And he starts expecting favor to work in his life. And guess what? He finds it. And not only does he find the favor, he finds the power. And that grace and that favor lifts him up from the bottom of the pool to the top of the pool. But he's not done. That's all good, huh? All right, now watch this. Now watch this. Look at verse 5 again. And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer his husband and all over all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. All right? All that he had. So he was blessed and the blessing. Now, again, let's go back to, our, to what we know about the Hebrew language, right? The word, ble- the word blessing there and the word bless, the Hebrew word barak, right? And if you break it down, I don't have time to do it for you tonight, but if you break it all down and, and you look at it, right, that word blessing there, that word blessing, the picture, <laughs> all right, if you take the literal words, letters, and you break them all down, right, the, in, in the Hebrew, the word blessing means this, When the sun is in the center of your house, he will put his hand of grace upon your life. See, when the sun is in the center of your house, can I say this to you in all love tonight? In all love tonight, I now know why a lot of Christians do not see the full blessing of God in their life. And I don't mean this ugly. It's because Jesus is not at the center of their house. He's in a bedroom. He's in a closet. He's in a back shed on the back of the property, but he's not in the center of the house. And when the sun is in the center of your house, then he will put his hand of grace upon your life. 
Mm -hmm. And the great thing is, is that even if by chance for some reason you have kind of pushed Jesus into a closet or a back bedroom or a shed or keep him out in the garage, all you've got to do tonight is say, God, forgive me for being stupid. Jesus, come sit in the, come sit, come sit in the living room and stay in the living room and live right here. And all of us in this house are going to rotate around you and you're not going to be to us like the spare in our car. You're going to be at the center of the house and I'm doing it because that's where you deserve. And because I want your hand of grace upon my life. Amen. That's something, isn't it? All right. And so this begins to happen. Now watch what happens. Are you learning anything tonight? We're doing okay. Wow. Can I take about 10 more minutes? Are you cool with about 10, maybe 15 at the most? Are we cool? No, seriously, no. Who give me? Who give me 15? Can I hear me? 15, 30, 45 an hour. Good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Now watch what happens. All right. So the blessing of the Lord is upon everything, right? Everything in the house and in the field. All of it is enjoying the hand of God's grace. All of it. Everything's prospering. Everything's growing. Everything's blooming. Crops are better. Cattle producing. Everything's great, right? Potiphar's like, wow, look, I don't care. I just want to know what you're going to feed me. You take care of everything else. Now, Grant, okay, okay, okay. I had a guy say this to me once. Well, but he's still a slave. Yeah, but he's got the best life you can possibly have as one. Okay, I mean, you know, under, I mean, considering where he's at, life is pretty good. Okay, now watch what happens. Watch what happens. And it came to pass after these things that his master's eyes cast her eyes, cast her eyes, his master's wife cast her eyes. Well, Joseph had said, come sleep with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, my master doesn't know anything's going on in the house and every, he's committed everything to my hand. There's none greater in the house than me. Neither kept back anything from me but you. But you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against Elohim? See, sin against the Godhead. Right? Now, you understand it. He didn't. But the Jews understood there was a plurality to God. They didn't understand all of it, but they knew it. Not like you and I knew it, but he said, I I can't sin against Elohim. And it came to pass as he spoke to Joseph day by day. So this went on for a long time. She keeps offering herself, offering herself day after day after day after day after day. Now, just a little sidebar. What a difference between Joseph and Samson. I don't think she'd offered Samson day after day. Hmm. But that's why we name our kids after Joseph. Ain't nobody naming their kids after Samson. Right? We name chairs after Samson. We name children after Joseph. We name our dogs after Samson. We name our children after Joseph. Right? And if you were to line them up, Joseph and Samson, you'd say, oh, Samson. Woo, look at Samson. Woo, look at that. But you know, my brothers, it don't matter what's on you. What matters is what's in you. Because when temptation comes, it's not what's on you that's going to save you. It's what's in you that's going to save you. Hmm? All right, so she offers him day by day. Now watch this. 
And it came to pass about this time, Joseph went in the house to do his business, and there was none of the men in the house with him. Leave, Joseph. <laughs> and she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. He left the garment in his hand and fled and got away. Amen. Better to lose your clothing, better to lose your position than lose your integrity. Amen. And then she accuses him of attempted rape, right? You know the story. She accused him of attempted rape, right? So then Potiphar comes home, and we're going to get into one more part of his life. Potiphar comes home, hears the story, doesn't truly believe the story completely. Because, and how do I know that? Because under Egyptian law, the penalty for rape or attempted rape was death, and he doesn't give Joseph death. He just puts him in prison. If he really believed her 100%, he would have, he would have killed him, but he didn't. So he, but he still puts him in prison. Okay, and we'll, we'll come back to that narrative in a minute. But, you know, this is astounding, right? Look at this. The blessing of God is upon her because she's in the house and everything in the field, and she runs the blessing of God off. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Now, I'm sure, this is the, I'm sure this never happens in McKinney. But in El Paso, Texas, I see this a lot. You really do, Pastor? Yeah, I really do. I see people that start coming to church, and, and, and they've got Jesus at the center of their house, of their life, and they go back to their house, and God's blessing everybody that's in the house, and they've got a, a partner who starts talking like this. Really? Really? You got to go to church every week? Every week? You got to go to church every week? Every week? We got to go every week? Every week? We gotta, you got to go every week? Every, every week? Every week? You know, the old church we used to go to, they were happy if we just came once a year. But now we gotta, you got to go every week? Every week? You got to go every week? Every week? Every week? Why can't you just go once a month? Come on, God would be happy with once a month. Why do you have to go every once a month? Why do you want to go every month? And you know what you do? You break them down, and pretty soon they're coming, and you drive the blessing of God out of your house. Wow. Wow. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Have fun. All right, let's continue on. Are you learning anything tonight? All right, jump with me down to verse 20. We're almost there. You're going to like this. And Joseph Master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were brown, and he was there in the prison. Now, I want to tell you something about Egyptian prisons. All right, they're not like prisons in America. They're not even like prisons in the third world. In those days, they didn't waste good above-ground land for prisons. They built their prisons underground. All right, and they would literally drop you into a hole in the ground, and you would go down into the underground prison, and that's where you would live. No daylight, no fresh air. We cannot comprehend the filth or the stink or the disease that was going on in that underground prison, right? I don't, even want, I don't even want to try to contemplate that, okay? Wow. And there's Joseph for a crime he never committed. So he just gets up and life knocks him back down again. Anybody, know, anybody associate with Joseph so far, right? And he didn't do anything wrong. So he gets put in prison. Now, in Psalms, it says that when he was in prison, that iron entered into his soul. So now God does something for Joseph that he needed because life in prison is much harder than life at Potiphar's house. Okay? And so he, he gets this iron, enters into his soul. But I want you to see this. Now watch. This is very good. Are you ready to learn something? Now watch. Verse 21. And Yahweh 
was with Joseph. So Joseph goes into the prison, and guess who he's looking for? Yahweh. Right? There's no record here of him saying, this isn't right. This shouldn't have happened to me. I was a good guy. I was accused of a crime I didn't commit. You know, these people were doing good because of me, and this is what I get. This is what I get, God. This is what I get for some. No, no, none of that. He just starts looking for Yahweh. Okay? Now watch. This is powerful. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now watch what happens. And the Lord was with Joseph, watch, and showed him mercy and gave him favor. So there's the grace again. Right? Just like in Potiphar's house. There's the favor. There's the grace again. But you notice something different here? Notice what it said. Showed him mercy. There was no record of mercy when he was at Potiphar's house. There was just grace. But now that he's in prison, God shows him mercy. Don't you find that interesting? God shows him mercy. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. The word mercy there means acts of kindness. Acts of kindness. But it carries with it an additional meaning. Get it now. It means that God began to show Joseph acts of kindness, get ready, with the understanding that because he was receiving acts of kindness, he was to begin to show acts of kindness. Now, this is when he's in prison. He's in prison. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to prisons. I, I've been to prison, not that I was sentenced. I went there to preach, and I went there to visit some guys that had been members of my church. Well, I really impacted them, didn't I? Amen. So anyway, uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so I'm still trying to sort that out of my brain. Amen. And uh, so anyway, uh, he's in prison. And I'm telling you right now, prisons are not places where people are kind. Anything but kind. Okay? So I don't know what these acts, but somehow God begins to show Joseph acts of kindness. I don't know what it is, but he begins to see them. But Joseph understands that as he receives these acts of kindness, so he is to begin to show acts of kindness in prison. All right? So he gets favor, this endowment, the grace on his life, but now there's something else happening, right? And as Joseph goes through his life in prison, he begins to show acts of kindness. He begins to be kind to people. What he does not know is it is those very acts of kindness that are going to get him out of the prison and into the palace. Because one day, as he's, pretty soon, you know, he's running the whole prison, right? Do you know that? He, it's like at Potiphar's house. The favor just lifts him back up, and he's running the whole prison. The, the keeper of the prison doesn't even know. He doesn't know anything except the food he eats. <laughs> so he's running the whole prison. But one day, because he's receiving acts of kindness, he's showing acts of kindness. One day, he's walking through, and he sees two guys who were brought in. These were men that worked for Pharaoh. Right? And he sees the sadness on their face. How easy would it have been Joseph would it have been for Joseph in his terrible state in prison for a crime he did not commit? Just hang with me for another minute. In this state, crime he didn't commit, right? To just walk by them and go, Oh, good enough for you, man. I don't know what to say. You're in prison. No happy days down here. See you later. But instead, because he's received acts of kindness, 
he moves in an act of kindness and he walks over to him and he says, what's wrong? And they said, well, we both had dreams and we don't, we don't know what they mean. And he says to them, he said, Elohim knows what they mean. Tell me your dreams. So they tell him their dreams, right? And the interpretation of the dream is to one of them, he says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to come and restore you back to your position and you're going to get your position back. And the other one says, well, what's my dream? He said, in three days, Pharaoh's going to cut your head off and put it on a stick. All right. Well, in three days, it happened exactly what, what was said, right? The one guy gets his head cut off. The other guy gets restored. And Joseph says to the guy that gets restored, remember me when you get out. Two years go by. Two years go by. The guy forgets Joseph. Okay. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. Now, when he wakes up, he just knows he had a bad dream. He doesn't remember the dream, and he doesn't know what it meant. But he expects his magicians to come and tell him what the dream was and what it meant. Well, they can't do it. They say, tell us the dream. We'll interpret it. He said, no, I don't remember the dream. I just know I feel bad, and you need to tell me what the dream was and what it means. And they say, well, we can't do it. So then Pharaoh, you know, sometimes all men need a little motivation. So Pharaoh said, well, if you don't know by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have all of your heads cut off and all of your wives cut off and all of your children's heads cut off. So you got till tomorrow morning to figure it out. Well, now they're motivated. And suddenly the guy goes, oh, Joseph. <laughs> That's good. Right? So he comes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh. He says, uh, you know, forgive me, but I met a Hebrew, and he tells him it's a Hebrew, right? Nothing like racism to raise its ugly head, right? And there's, I got this Hebrew, but he also tells him it's a Hebrew because he wants Pharaoh to know that, and just to know that if you bring this guy in, you got to know this, he only believes there's one God, and uh, you're not it. Because the Egyptians believe Pharaoh was a God, right? But, but, but he interpreted the dream. And so Pharaoh says, well, go get him. This is hilarious to me. So they go pull him out of the prison. They bathe him and shave him, put on clean clothes. Isn't it funny, right, that we'll clean ourselves all up on the outside to go see a man, and we'll come before God all full of junk. Right? And so he, he, they, they bring him in. They walk him into Pharaoh's room, right? And, and, and he looks at Pharaoh and says, what's up? He said, well, I had a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And he looks at him, and he says, well, doesn't Elohim know everything? Listen, listen, mark it down. When God begins to lift you up and bring you up and promote you, you always make sure that God stays on your lips. Amen. Amen. So Joseph gets in there. He tells him the dream, tells him the interpretation of the dream. You got to see this. This is so beautiful, right? I mean, it's just so good, right? So in, ver in chapter 41, verse 14, they go and get him. They bring him out. They clean him. He, gives, he tells him the dream. He gives him everything, tells him everything about it, tells him what's going to happen. Seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. Now watch this. You're going to love it, right? And he, and he tells him everything. And then look at this. Watch this now. Look at this. This is so amazing, right? And in verse 32, he says, And you dream this dream twice, for it's a thing that's established, and Elohim will surely bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh... Now you're telling Pharaoh what to do, Joseph? Yeah, he is. Right? 
Look for a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land. Take him a fifth part of the Egypt and the seven plenty here. Let them gather it all together. And then verse 37, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. Yeah, all the servants are glad because they didn't get their heads lifted that morning. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is, the spirit of Elohim? He's even got Pharaoh talking Elohim now. Amen. <laughs> And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as Elohim has showed you all this, there is no one so smart and wise as you. You should be over my house. And according to your word shall all my people be real. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. You have got to be kidding. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I've set before you all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen. He gets his linen back. And put a gold chain about his neck, made him ride in the second chariot. And everywhere he went, the people bowed their knee and cried out that he was, that made him ruler over Egypt. And Pharaoh said, Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without you shall no man lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, gave him this Egyptian name, and gave him a wife and made him head over all the land. In one day, he went from the dungeon to the palace. He went from filthy clothes to, white, to clean linen again. He, he went from the chains of a slave to the chains of royalty. And he went from being alone to having a wife and a family and position in one day. Why? 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 Because he always believed that he had grace, that he had favor, and he always showed acts of kindness. And because of that, no matter how many times life put him down, he just kept coming back up. And you can keep on Josephing and have the same experience in your life. If you believe it tonight, give the Lord a great hand clap for his word. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.